Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to share a very simple message. And I believe in its simplicity, it can revolutionize, transform many lives. I do believe that. Um, in First John, the, the epistle of First John in chapter 4, and, and it's in these verses of chapter 4 that he speaks so intensely of this unique love of God. And then in verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. And then earlier, up in the, maybe I should have read it first, um, in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So put those two together. In the first place he says, this is this mystery of the love of God. He said, it is not, underline that, put it in purple, it is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. And then in verse 19, we love, this love has come into us, but it's because He first loved us. The, it is true to say that in every respect... God is always first. If you begin in Genesis, uh, when Adam was created and opened his eyes on that sixth day of creation, everything was ready. God had already first made a complete creation. And there was nothing for Adam to do except say thank you and begin to participate in that creation. God planted a garden within the creation so that all Adam did was sit and watch the Creator plant a garden for him and then be placed in that garden. And the Lord says, every tree you may eat, there's all the food you need, the ground is full of gold, silver, wealth, and precious stones, and there's brooks and rivers running through it. So everything's ready. All you say is thank you. I could keep going on that all the way through the scripture, but I'm not. I, I, I just say that to say this is how it started and that is how it is because this is the very nature and being of God. He is always first. That sounds simple, doesn't it? Uh, in, in his heart, if I can speak of the core being of the Holy Trinity, he is first in loving us. 
when he speaks, it always takes us by surprise because he's first, he introduces the subject, he takes the initiative in his actions in which he does his heart and fulfills his word, he's always first. Therefore, it's always a gift. It doesn't begin with us. It has little to do with us in terms of making it happen. It's always grace, that is, it's always the sheer gifting of God. And and the gift comes with enlightenment, and the gift comes with power. The gift is the way God is. A gift, because He's always first, and therefore, the only part that we are involved in is faith. The response to grace must be faith. And even that faith comes into being by the nature of the gift. Okay, I suppose that's it in a nutshell. But you see, sin, that the heart of sin is to reverse that. We have made sin into a long list of behaviors that are unacceptable. And certainly it's going to get there, but the the very essence of sin is that, that Satan and the lie, and therefore the flesh, as the scripture describes man in his fallen mortality, hates this. And, and sin would reverse it, so that instead of God's initiative, God beginning, God always first, and we always with thanks and joy responding, instead of that, sin would have mankind being the beginning point. We would be the ones who take the initiative. It's all in our hands, and we are going now to have a response from God because of what we've done. Therefore, God has to take action based on our initiative. That's the essence of sin. And so, um, sin, and of course, sin shows up primarily in religion. I know we want to put it in the ghetto, we want to put it on the streets, we want to put it in the gangs and the drugs and so on, but if you really understand the scripture, The heart of sin is expressed in religion because sin is all about how we look at God. And religion has turned it all on its head. And so how many times have you heard, you know, uh, because, because I've done this, because I've done that, because I promise to do this, then I expect a reaction from God. I've started this. How many on a Sunday night people walk forward and do whatever they do and and believe that that action that they took has activated God? No, it didn't. No, no, no. He's always first. You cannot be before Him. Now, this that I've just said in the last five minutes is illustrated in that chapter that over the years, decades, I continually return to Luke chapter 15. I know I've talked with you, I don't know how many times about Luke 15, 
I've written a book after 60 years of meditation, and some of you have read it. Uh, it's all about this, this story of the prodigal son. But you see, I didn't stop meditating after I wrote the book. And, uh, and this has leaped out at me in the last few days. And so, remember, he's always first. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 15, is explaining or shall I say, yes, I'd say explain, and revealing who God really is. And it's interesting, his, what he said, was addressing the most religious people of the day. Now that's, I find, well, I find it more than fascinating, I find it life-changing. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God the Son, sent by the Father. And it says in John 1.18, very specifically, that Jesus is none other than the only begotten God who is in the very embrace of the Father, one with the Father. And it says that He comes to exegete or explain or reveal God. And it says no one has seen God at any time. So God came to tell us what God was like. And in chapter 15 of Luke, the reason everyone knows the story in some form or another is because here is God sitting in the very middle of our darkness and blindness and confusion and distorted minds and he is revealing this is what God is really like and that, that explodes in our hearts and in our minds so let, let me do this you see because that story in fact all three stories or four stories of Luke 15 they reveal this fact he's always first herein is the mystery of God's love not that you loved God you say, you say well how could he love me I don't love you no that's the point you say that that's that's this love that just it sounds crazy to the natural mind herein is love not that we loved God he, we didn't start this we didn't ask him for a date, you see. No, this is love. He loved us and sent his son. Jesus is the final exposition and explanation of the love of God. And then this verse... Uh, we love, yes, something's happened to us. We're experiencing this God love but we have that because he first loved us first and here in these stories that Jesus tells to explain the heart of God that's he's always first always first and in this story uh, whichever story you go to in the chapter it comes very obvious that this love of God is not distant. You know, I, I say it often, let me say it again, it's not some sort of atmospheric niceness. You see, you hear of people saying, well, the universe, they, they can't say God, they, they say the universe, which of course means impersonal. The universe 
It doesn't smile. The universe doesn't laugh. The universe doesn't cry. The universe doesn't love. But but these poor people, they, they say the universe, and then they speak in the same breath of unconditional love, which of course is an impossibility. It would, it would mean your electricity has love. Of course not. No, no. No. When I come to love, it's not just a remote, distant niceness. It isn't that he's sort of loving. No, no, no. When I come to these parables of Jesus in Luke 15, love is described to us. Remember, Jesus is revealing, he's saying, this is what God is like. He's described as passionate. As passionate. I mean, he describes a shepherd who goes into the wilderness following uh, the sheep into unknown ravines and down precipices. And he says, until he finds it, that he won't give up. And when he finds it, he puts it around his neck. I mean, that's a picture of intimacy. That's a picture of passion. It's a picture of, I I cannot give up. I, I am so united to the sheep. See, and when I come to the, the, the last great story, I, I, well, I, I say it again, passionate. It says when, when he saw the son, when he was a great way off, he ran. It's passion. And if we add to that the the social norms of the day this old father would never 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 would, would run that was for young chaps young bucks they they ran no not old fellows they they walked with dignity they were to be honored as the elders but this jesus described a sight that would cause people to laugh behind their hands the old man runs picks up his robe and runs and he did so because he had compassion which is the strongest word to use for love it means when your guts are twisted yet you're longing you're moved inside compassion and when he comes to his son he flings his arms around him with embrace and the original language would indicate a bear hug in which he crushes him against him and then smothers him with kisses. And then gentle kindness in bringing him that fresh change of clothes way out there, far off from the village so that no one would see the condition in which the chap turned up from the far country. God's so gentle, he hides our sins from others. He knows what we look like, but he forgives us and doesn't tell anybody. We're the ones who write the books about our testimony, but he doesn't. He, he covers a multitude of sins, you see. This, this is this love. But the point is, the point I'm getting at, he ran with such wild, reckless enthusiasm and passion but it it was his firstness he took that initiative the son, this is it you see the son did not ask him to the son actually had nothing to do with, with what's happening except that he was there 
because he he bees there as the person, as as the son dearly loved, which he could not at that moment comprehend. And so he he hadn't asked for the father to come. In fact, he prepared that stupid speech in which he's going to go to the father's office and there hope to get an interview and then sell himself to the father. Do, do you understand? This was a total surprise. This this w- was was not in the plan. The son had not imagined it, had not asked for it, had not anticipated it. This is a hundred percent the father's action. Jesus said, "That's God. He's not waiting for you to ask him. He's not not waiting for you to blubber and beg and say, "I'm sorry." I'm the no, no. He he's running to us. That that's the picture he gives us of God. He he's coming, and he upsets all the plans of the mindset of religion because the son came back to the homestead with the plan of being first. Do you get this? He came home with a plan. He's going to surprise the old man, you say. No one knows he's coming. And so he's going to come and he's got this speech ready in which he's going to try and convince the father that uh, he, he deserves a second chance. So he's got, see, he takes the initiative, and then after he said his speech, he expects the father will then say something, and hopefully it will be positive. Huh. This really upset everything because the son is knocked off course. He's a surprise would be a very weak word. The, the father has taken the initiative out of the hands of the son and it's now a hundred percent the father bursting in with love that the son had not anticipated nor could ever imagine first because being first is a risky business you've got to understand that if, if, if the son had said anything in terms of, you know, have mercy or whatever, or forgive me even, or... Well, then the father could have come in response to that and expressed this kind of love. But if you're going to go with such... Yeah, enthusiasm, excitement, passion, running down the road, bursting into the space of the sun and and flinging your arms around him. That's risky because, you see, at that point, the father really doesn't know why the son is in the vicinity of the house. Uh, think about that. I don't know. He didn't know he was coming home. He sees him afar off and takes the opportunity. The father, you see, in this act of of being the first, before the son has had a chance to say even why he's there, the father is risking rejection for the second time. When the son walked away the first time, that... That was a knife through the father's heart. 
Now, if when the father comes in this fashion and the son pushes him away and said, I'm not home for that, that would have been the twisting of the knife. Do you see what I mean? Maybe the son doesn't want forgiveness. Maybe the son doesn't even consider reconciliation important. Maybe I don't know why he might have been coming home. But the father is always first. Remember, not that we loved God. The father was not running down the road because he had reason to believe that this son loved him. No, actually he had every reason to believe the son couldn't stand the sight of him. It wasn't that the son had done something that the father's now responding to. It's all in the father's hands. He first loved and he comes down the road and takes that incredible risk, the risk that the love that's always first takes. This violent love, it was, I mean, he just <laughs> sort of a, fell on top of the chap. Urgent love. The, the total giving of himself love without any shame or embarrassment as to what people might think because when, when finally the word got to the village of, of his acceptance of this son that was contrary to the expectancy of everyone not only the elder brother but everyone contrary and when I say contrary I, I mean that they were hostile to what he was doing this kid deserved a good thrashing but he, he's coming down that road love in, in, in its violent compassionate passionate mode without any appeal from the son who's going to be overwhelmed by that love nor any pressure from what the villagers might call common sense no it's no wonder this, this love that was first knocked the son off balance I mean this is totally unexpected there's no file for this in the kid's head. This is crazy. God, the first lover, is always looked upon as crazy. That's why religion hates it. Religion wants things in order, you see. And then there's pecking order here. We're holy, you're not. God loves us, we're not sure about you. But if you do this and do this and do this and do this, and then maybe God will notice you. So you have to do to activate God. No wonder when you come across something like this, it throws you off balance. I don't know where to put this. See, the Father, this first... Why, why does this love be the first what, what, what's behind it what's the motive of this first to love because this love places a value on the son that only the father could give because anyone else's idea of value or the placing of worth well it's 
life. Now there, look what he did. Look how he squandered the money. Look where he ended up. See how he smells. Look at the sight. And so on, you see. But the father looked literally through all of that to the being, the human that was inside those rags, that was behind the pig stinking skin. He says, my son, I've never stopped loving you. You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You're my son. He placed a value on this wreck of a human being and said, what I see and how I value you as only I can. You are my son. And, and, and your worth, your value is, is so vast to me. You're my son. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I come through all of that and grasp hold of my son. That connection of love was not because of any good thing the son had done. Certainly. Nor, nor was it put off because of any past behavior. Nor, nor did it exist because of a promise of anything future. The son, you see, tried to conjure that up with that speech of his. But the fa father came with a different value. It was nothing to do with behavior, nothing to do with reputation, nothing to do with anything except the father says, I love you. You're my son. See, the son, this prodigal, did not see any value in himself. And that's how he began the silly thing, wasn't it? I'm no longer worthy. See the word worth, worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've excommunicated myself from the family because of what I've done. He didn't see that he had any value, any worth. Didn't amount to anything. And he believed that his father would see him the same way. Uh, can I, can I kind of get inside his head? When he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, he thought that would please the father. You know how it is. It, he's anticipating the father does not see me as his son. The father's already given up on me. So... I'll, I'll join him and say I'm not worthy to be called your son. And that will please him, you see. If I can look at myself as the father looks at me, he abhors me. Of course he does. He doesn't see any worth in me. Well, if I can come out and spew out self-hate, well, that, that should be a good beginning, shouldn't it? I, I mean, now maybe I, I can be given a chance to, I don't know, prove myself of having some worth in that I can do farm work. And he appeals to be a hired servant, which was just a little above slavery. It was sort of being a paid slave. That's about as high as the kid could think. He, he, he sought a worth 
that he initiated. Are you getting this? He, he initiated, he would do some work and then he would have proved he's got some worth in society. He never, never thought of worth and value being bestowed on him by a father who takes the first move because of love, and love bestows worth. See, he saw, the son saw worth as being sometime in the distant future when he would get a reference, probably from his superintendent under the father's watchful eye. You've been a good worker. If he stayed there long enough, probably get a gold watch and retire. You see. That would be his idea of worth. Made some impact on society. Hopefully please the old man. But it never dreamed on him. Never occurred to him that the father would call him son. I mean, he said, make me a paid slave. The father didn't even consider it, but said, you're my son. And, and he said that without me doing anything. Yeah, that's first. You see, God comes first and says that. It isn't that I did this and did this and did this and then he gives me the, the gold medal or something. No. And, of course, if you want to pursue it even further, the elder brother, which... Uh, he, he's the image in this series of stories of religion... That was the Pharisee that Jesus was speaking of in the elder brother. But did you notice the father addressed the elder brother in the same way? Gave him a worth. He says, you are my dear child. You are always with me. All that I have is yours. Hold it, I tell you. But he does. Oh, this... And it turned... This love, I say, it's not some um, niceness of, of, of the universe. No, it, it was so intimate. When this love came rushing to him, it, it, it comes to its finale in flinging his arms around him. And as I, I, I said at the beginning, the word in the original could well be the idea of a bear hug. It means a crushing to oneself. It's also used of um, a, a, an atmosphere or what? An energy that comes upon a whole group of people. So it says fear fell upon. And it's that same word that's used there. That, that you know, when, when fear grips a whole group of people. There you see I said it, grips. And, and that's the word here. It's that gripping it's that hugging. And, and so in this case, love fell upon the boy. And, and his father flings his arm. And in the margin of most of your Bibles, it will say repeatedly kissed him. It becomes so intimate. This is not some legal thing where the father pardons him. No, and, and those words aren't even used. Even the word forgiveness is not used. It's pretty obvious, but it's not used. Now, well, when he comes down the road with such passion, 
you, you feel it immediately. The father wants the boy. He wants him. He's not putting up with him. He's not doing something he has to do. He wants the boy. And he becomes so intimate. There, there's a tenderness. He kissed him. Put, put his, the lips of the father onto the foul skin of that boy that had been living with pigs. So personal. I don't know if by this time all the servants had arrived. I, I don't know if there was anybody else on the road. It doesn't really matter. It's as if there's just the two of them. This first love, always first, as I say again, because you've got to get it, the boy couldn't have concocted this, nor did the boy earn it by doing something. It just, all he can do is be engulfed by that love. There you see, he came home with that speech for a job interview. That sort of went out the window, flushed down the toilet pretty quickly. This is not a job interview. It's being bear hugged and kissed. Because he's stunned. Of course you would be. I think many of you listening right now have been. When we met on this program, um, well, I don't know where you were, but I, I believe the Holy Spirit has stunned you to realize this kind of love. And so this son begins his speech as if he doesn't have a clue what's going on, but he feels he'd better get the speech that he's been preparing to say. But as we pointed out before, there's that sudden realization, and he stops the speech. I have said, and I'm not sure I might have said it, you know, two years ago, whatever, um that the father was the one who essentially by his attitude would have said shut up I don't want to hear that which there's an element that but I have come to see in the last years um, the son stopped talking the father didn't tell him not to. The, the son stopped his speech right in the middle he never finished it and, and then I have to ask why because it's out of place. What the son was saying is inappropriate in the face of such love. Here the father is telling the son that he is beloved, he is a dear son, and he has worth and value. And that speech he came home with was trying to convince the father that he was unlovable, unworthy, no good. So his speech that he sets out to say actually is seeking to prove love a liar. Hmm. Ever heard that? I, I listen to, to many on Christian radio, Christian TV, and, and so much essentially seems to be telling God that if you really knew us, you wouldn't love us, you see. That we're a lot worse than you think. And, and, and we, there's a lot of groveling and whining and some play beating your chest and saying, I'm no good, I'm no good. Are you trying to prove that God doesn't know what he's talking about? 
I, 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 is it this son thing coming home to tell his father, I'm not worthy, I don't care what you say, I'm no good, I'm ready to be a paid slave? Huh. Of course, the son really, I suppose, should have given the speech that he prepared to the elder brother. The elder brother would have been well pleased with it. The elder brother, you see, is the false, lying representative of the father. And he just would have, oh, he would have reveled in that speech. Sure, you're unworthy, you're, yes, you're no good, and so on. But he didn't. He was going to give it to the father and then shut his mouth because he realized that's an inappropriate response to the love that I'm now feeling in arms around me and the kiss on my cheek it's inappropriate to say what I came home to say and anyway the father's not listening to that drivel this stopping please hear me right now this stopping in mid-speech uh, and if, if you could picture, I mean, he's standing there kind of feeling stupid. He started to say this and he shuts up. I'm going to say that, that moment of stopping talking, that was repentance. You see, that word of all words in our Christian vocabulary, maybe that word has been so twisted by satanic lie more than any other, and there's others too, but repentance has come to mean groveling. It's come to mean I'm no good, I'm unworthy. You know, some of you were raised along with the likes of myself. Uh, we're, we're going to church on Sunday. You prepared for that. You, you prepared to go and say, I'm no good. You, you, you sort of tried to conjure up tears to make it look good. I, I mean, that's the point. You're no good. And the, when you say, have mercy, it's a, hang your head, beat you to have mercy, oh Lord, have mercy. We're, we're wretched sinners. Oh, how religion loves that phrase. <laughs> no, repentance doesn't mean that, you see. The word repentance means a radical, heart-reaching change of mind. Yes, I mean, that's a pretty far cry from what has been said. It, it does... The Greek word, I'd love to just keep the Greek word and forget any English translation, metanoia. It means that, that heart, I mean, to the core of my being, change of mind, which means everything of thought has been twisted, distorted. I'm changing my mind. And I'm changing my mind because I've seen something. Or as the scripture says, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I mean, people repent because they're, they're scared of punishment. 
I mean, the idea of evangelism is uh, to hold people over hell. When you get that in the Bible, it's the goodness of God. It is seeing the love of God, this extreme love, this love that's always first, this love that's in your face. That leads you to repentance. Not scared spitless of what this raging monster called God is going to do to you. No, 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 no. God loves you just as you are. God loves you where you are. He, he loves you as you are. And He loves you as you will be. God loves you. And repentance means I, I've seen something. My life is falling apart now because everything I thought I had it. <clears throat> In place, and I, I don't. God is, God is good. God is kind. He's tender. He forgives before I even had a chance to ask Him. He's not crying over His actions, His behavior. He's aligning His heart and mind to the love of God. He came home to say, Maybe you could find it in your heart too, that I'm worthy of a second chance. I'm coming home so you can be my employer and I'll call you master. <laughs> the father didn't even listen. For the father, his very action was forgiveness. The father declared him son of the family, honors him as the son. As I say, before the son had anything to say or do, no part in it. The father was first, 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 first. Before the son could ask, before the son could imagine, you are the son of my joy. Huh. You see, the speech with which the son came home was just another level of being lost. Right? The father says, my son who was lost, and, and we, I mean, I've heard it preached that, well, that was when he was in the far country with the pigs, and now he's on the way home, so now he's found. No! He had no comprehension of his father when he came home. His speech reveals that. He was as lost on that road coming home as he was lost on that same road going away. Only now he realizes where he'd been lost didn't work. So he's going to try another part of being lost. Ever thought about that? You see, he wasn't found until he found himself in the arms of the love of his father that had never let him go. Think about this. It is possible to leave, what can I say, the ways of this world, which are generally called bad, it's it's possible. You're going to change your ways. Your, you know, New Year resolution. Turn over and you leave. Have a little reformation. Oh yeah, it is possible that that you decide now. I'm going to go to church. You see, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to try and be good. Well, that. It's possible that that's just another flaw of the house called lost. Because you can do all of that and still not have a clue of the love of God 
that relentlessly pursues you to love you and have an intimate relationship with you at the core of your being. It was in the arms of his father's love that he came to faith. It is the first love. That is, he first loved us. That's where faith is, as surely as that's where repentance is. See, this love of the father for this prodigal produced faith. Do you understand me? That love that embraced him was the faith of the father in his own love intention the father believed in his own love that to put his arms around that boy to reconcile produces a transformed life and in the father's arms feeling, seeing tasting that love his eyes are opened to see his father as he'd never seen him before. And he believed the father's love with the same believing that the father believed his love. Do you get that? Faith is not trying to believe. Faith is seeing I am loved. And I believe the love. I believe what the father believes. The Bible says faith works by love. We rest, of course. If if God's love is always first, then we rest in the arms of that love. That's all the kid did. He was caught up in the bear hug and there he rested. And in that faith is born. I believe it. it. God says and has said it in the person of Jesus if Jesus doesn't only tell the story he is the word he is the story that's the case that's the faith of the father I I rest in that faith and the faith I now have said Paul is the faith of the son of God or as we, we it's all by grace, it's all by gift and therefore by faith and that faith not of yourself, it is the gift of God see this love the pause from the heart of God like a, a, a boundaryless river of love and light and life it, it's not a rumor See, the boy is not stopped on the road by some passing vagrant who who says, you know, I heard them say in the village that your dad just can't wait for you to come home one day. No, it's not a rumor. You don't... This isn't some sort of, what, gospel gossip that, that you hear people say God is love and say, oh, well, I guess he is. No, this that I'm speaking of is that he loved me, loved you, and gave himself. This, we've already talked about it. The, it's so tender, it's so intimate, it is so personal, that picture of the two upon the road. Yeah, you know it. 
if, if there was one cry for every human from I, I speak of myself and of you Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit open my eyes to see the love that he has for me do you remember Jesus said to Pontius Pilate when, when Pilate that hardened Roman governor sneered in the face of Jesus and said are you a king remember what Jesus said do you speak this of yourself or did another tell you that is have you seen something in me that causes you indeed to wonder could it be he's the king of kings did you see something Pilate are you asking that out of your... Or did those, those people out there say that? And you're just repeating it like a parrot. Speakest thou this of thyself, or did another tell you? Do you know the love of God? That's, that's the point, you see. This love... Let me, let me just push it one or two steps further. This love, you see, rushing down the road. Urgent love. Maybe I should have started here. Oh, it's a lot to put into a few minutes that this is love rushing to justice. Oh, how we've allowed the world, the flesh and the devil to define our Bible words. Justice. And immediately we associate the word punish with justice. No. The meaning of that word in the original language, justice, means to make whole. It means to restore things to the way they were supposed to be. It means a resurrection to a life that God always intended for us. You see, this love that was first, insistent, taking the initiative... To meet the boy before he had a chance to ask. When that boy was in the father's arms, that, that is love's satisfaction. I heard a, a fellow the other day say that on the cross when Jesus died, that was justice satisfied. And he'd already told us that justice meant damnation and punishment. And He says... God was satisfied. What a, what a picture, you know. God with his fangs dripping with blood. He's not satisfied until he has killed his son so he can reluctantly forgive you. Oh, come on. That's not the Christian God. For God so loved the world. This is justice. Love is satisfied. You see... Okay, you say, the boy should be punished. Put him off in jail. Look what he did to the name of the family. Spend two years in jail. Is love satisfied? All, the, all love wanted was to hold the boy, not punish him. Beat, beat the life out of him. Now I'm satisfied. That's not love. It's not love. Put your arms around the boy. This is love's righteousness. Righteousness. I bring my son to walk together in harmony once more. 
that the Son may rest into the Father's satisfaction that love has arrived at its goal for the Son to accept his acceptance there's your justice there's your righteousness think about that the Father yeah, so he was first the Son didn't stand there and say you know I'm, I'm, I'm looking pretty bad I, I smell to high heaven and all I've got here is rags would, would, you, would you have a spare suit or something no the, the son doesn't the father's first the father said bring the best robe and put it on him the father initiated the transformation he not only accepted him he says bring the robe dress him in accord with the value that I place upon him bring him to participate in the behavior that reflects an honored son so kill the fatted calf bring in the musicians bring in the dance bands and let the whole village rock we'll welcome him home as my son the father initiated that initiated it so the son's response though it's hardly necessary but it was there somewhere buried in all of that. the son submitted to having his old rags taken off and the best robe of celebration put upon him and escorted to the feast and he does so comfortably he's accepted his father's love familiar surroundings boy this is the old home sat in this chair before yeah he had he's not coming into a strange building he's, he lived here he was born here he's raised here smell of home uh, but just a minute at the same time it was totally new totally because when he was here before he had been blind and deaf to who his father really is and he saw himself the same way as his elder brother still saw himself a slave all these years I've slaved for you said the older brother back in that day when this kid sat in this same house He'd been hostile to his father because he had an image of his father in his imagination that was not true. It was a distorted, twisted picture that his father was not. But now, the love of the father had been revealed to him. The love of the father had embraced him. And that changed everything that changed everything he had come home with that speech asking to be a paid slave and at the end of his anticipation his best hope was that he would have the relief of knowing that his father would give him a job instead he sits here in an old house that he's never been in before you get it I mean 
never sat here knowing that he's loved and accepted, not relieved, but participating in the joy of the Father. And of course, you could push it even, the elder brother comes home and slanders the younger brother. The younger brother does not go out to defend himself. It's again the father takes the initiative, always first. The father goes out to speak with the elder son. And of course the accusation really was against the father because the son was enraged that this love of the father was first. The love of the father in the eyes of the elder brother who was like say again portraying religion the love of the father should be second or even third. The initiator here should have been the younger son who came home and should have said, beat me, put me in chains, imprison me, do what you want, make me a slave. And the father then reluctantly would begin to show some affection. Instead, of course, it was all backwards to that. The father showed love first, and the first love changed the son. Huh. You notice... The world thinks this message is crazy because the world is built on deserving, earning. There are many quarters of the church that think this is crazy because they've never seen the grace of God. Your flesh, your mortality that would be independent of God thinks it's crazy and would beat you to seek to do something that's big enough and significant enough to please God and have him love you and Satan's accusation is always right here that you don't deserve it, you're not worthy and you've got to do this and so on okay, I'm, I'm done all I know is, and the reason I go back to this simplicity, because so many of you have heard these truths on this program before, but there are so many that have touched the love of God, or the love of God has touched them, and yet they, they've got habitual language, and they still talk as if they've got to initiate, that they have initiated, there's instead of recognizing it's all gift. See, that's crazy. It's all gift. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say it again. It feels so good. It is all gift. The whole of our salvation in entirety is the action of the Father, the action of God the Son, Jesus, the action in your life now of the Holy Spirit. And He's always first. We walk into life. It's, it's as if, could, could you see, sort of, the, the next moment of your life is sort of right here. And we're walking into it. And then the next hour of your life, then. Can, can you see it that when you get into that next moment 
God the Holy Spirit is there to announce that he's first. You're going to discover a need of something, a need of patience, a need of strength, a need of love, a need of, a need of. Realize he's already there. You don't have to send up an SOS and, and hope the heavenly coast guard gets to you before you sink. No, all the love you will ever need already is. All the strength, all the wisdom, all the understanding, all the patience, all the gentleness, all the kindness, all the compassion already is. He's first. You can't outrun him. He's first. It means as you walk into the next minute, he's already there. You're all in all. And the next hour, whatever challenges, whatever opportunities, he's already there. You can't be first. You can't get there and say, I'm all alone here, there's nothing here. Oh God, help me, oh God, help me. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) He's already there. All my praying begins with the fact that he already has accomplished all. And he's already given. And when I ask, I ask for that which is already given to me, which already is. Before they call, I will answer, he says. Well, may this be blessing to you. For now, the blessing of God, who is, who is almighty love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he open the eyes of our understanding to see the vastness of his love that fills every minute of every step of every life. So I bless you and declare you blessed.